Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome to the H2P podcast. Guess who's back? Back again, Corey and Gary, together the way it's supposed to be. Getting the H2P podcast team back together. Corey, how you doing, brother? Yeah, been a couple of weeks. Good to talk to you again, Gary. Been good. Uh, we just, we, we delayed today's recording because of that amazing France and Argentina World Cup final. What a fun sporting event, and congrats to Argentina, but... Doing well, Gary. Good to be back again. And, and a lot has happened uh, since we've last talked. Certainly kept the ship afloat a couple of weeks ago on a pod and missed last week. But we're back and ready to roll. Yeah, and we're just in time to take another week off because we're not doing one for the Christmas week. So, <laughs> hey, this one's going to this one's gonna count. We're going to cover a lot of ground in this one. We're going to start with football. Um, the transfer portal is a thing, Corey. Um, we just heard, you know, that Brandon Hill is getting ready to, uh, enter the draft. He's going to go ahead and skip the bowl game. So I, I have a couple larger concepty type questions here, uh, before we get into the specifics of who we know is going into the portal, who we know is leaving, who we know is coming with these bowl games. I know we're expanding the playoffs. How do fans ingest bowl games when? a lot of the best players don't play. It's something that I think I, I they have every right to not play. I completely understand why it's not like I have a problem with the players, but with all the coach movements and all the players like that, just decide they're not going to play in these games. What's the point? You know, that's a fair question because that's the pretty common sentiment among people who, you know, might disagree or maybe lean towards the way of saying, well, you come this far in your career, you put in four years, however long it is of work it, with this extra COVID year of eligibility, some are putting in five years, you put on all this time of work, you put in all of this, you know, practice hours in the facility and traveling and, and classwork, you do all this stuff to prepare and to go through a college football career and then at the very end, when you're on that precipice of, you know, taking the next step in your career and you're, you're getting advice about going to the NFL, you're hearing from scouts, you know, you're getting advice from maybe an agent, whoever it may be, you know, players do this. This is a common thing now that players will forego the bowl game and they won't 
so to speak, finish what they start in order to go prepare. And, you know, I get it. Like you alluded to, I get it from the standpoint of freak injuries happen. Things happen. You never know what the risk is going out and playing that extra game. But on the contrary, it's the concept again of quote unquote, finishing what you start and, you know, riding through it and, you know, kind of completing full circle and all that other stuff. You know, Gary, the reality is, and, you know, the way that recruiting is nowadays with not just um, how short the cycle is when it comes to these these high school athletes getting offered so early. And then, you know, I said this in previous shows, I think, and I've wrote about it before. When you recruit high school players, you recruit for them to start their career there nowadays. Do you yeah. recruit to end their career is the question. And, you know, Brandon Hill obviously has been at Pitt his whole career. He has taken that journey for four years in Pat Narduzzi's system. And now he has an opportunity to go to the NFL. So when it comes to that, um, my take on it has always been to to do the safest thing and to do the thing that, you know, you feel is best for you. And it's a case-by-case basis. Sometimes these players need to play the bowl game in order to up their draft stock, per se. Now, does Brandon Hill playing the Sun Bowl, you know, leap him into the third round or fourth round or wherever it is, right? Right. As far as scouts would see, and for Hill, I think it could be a specific case because of the tremendous track record that Pitt has had with developing defensive backs at least over the recent handful of years. But the thing that I have always approached it with, with these bowl games is who is the player doing this? Is this a guaranteed first round pick? Is this a fringe second round guy? Is this somebody that needs to play the bowl game? Now, does Brandon Hill need to play in the sun bowl? I'm not sure because of the gravity of the bowl game. Now it's a, it would be a good test against a good top 25 team. It would be a good test against a good offense. Zach Charbonnet at UCLA is a really dynamic running back. And if Brandon Hill made a couple of plays and, you know, that's tape that you can put plays on for that NFL draft film. I think it's such an interesting case by case basis type of thing. And, um, you know, it, it just depends on the player and it depends on the kind of advice that they're getting about that next level. I mean, I'm with you, Corey. I I definitely see all the reasons why a players would not want to play. But if I've worked with a team my entire career, as you said, and you get to the point where your quarterback has done enough that he thinks he's going to get drafted in the NFL, and he decides, I'm not going to play in the Sun Bowl, and you're a star standout wide receiver that does want to put a little bit more on tape, well, his decision is affecting you as well, mm-hmm. right? So I wonder sometimes about that inner teammate type conversation. I wonder if that stuff happens. And secondly, Pitts in the Sun Bowl. We haven't even mentioned it really before, but they're in the Sun Bowl. Here they are. Um, at some point, does the Sun Bowl just not matter enough to have? I mean, are these more turning into previews of what next year's team might look like? You know, that's such a f- fascinating question because 
pretty soon here we're going to an expanded college football playoff where, you know, the big New Year's Six games are going to become de facto semifinal, rotate in, become the national, you know, whatever it may be, quarterfinal, right. semifinal. So the name and the nomenclature of the bowl, so to speak, and the ties that these have are all case by case again. Now, the Sun Bowl, obviously Pac-12 versus ACC. And like I said, in the case of a Brandon Hill, and like you're like what you're saying, I think is a great example when it comes to a wide receiver and a quarterback, right? Because it's more than likely going to be Nick Patty playing in the Sun Bowl. Now, Jared Wayne has a decision on does he come back to pit? Does he go test the NFL? And we obviously haven't heard from him yet as of this recording on what he's doing. It, I would think by this point it's leaning towards, you know, he's playing the Sun Bowl and we'll see from there. But like you said, Keith Slovis not playing the Sun Bowl. How much does that affect Jared Wayne? How much does that affect even Israel Abanacanda, who has legitimate stock as an NFL prospect? So Absolutely. these conversations, I'm sure, happen at a surface level. But at the end of the day, you know, Slovis being kind of an outlier here because he's transferring. He's in a totally different ballpark than maybe a Brandon Hill is, who is going to the NFL. And, you know, Brandon Hill not playing is not the same impact as Keith Slovis not playing. But let's say Slovis was doing this for the same reason that Brandon Hill is. You know, at the end of the day, I'm going to this might sound bad, but you kind of have to look out for yourself at some level. Right. Sure. Now. Brandon Hill not playing the Sun Bowl means that Javon McIntyre, P.J. O'Brien, they're going to get opportunities to play in that game alongside Eric Hallett, who, as of right now, we know is in the game. So I think that those conversations have to happen at a surface level. But at the end of the day, if you have a chance to go make money and play at the next level, you got to look out for yourself. And that's just kind of part of the cruel nature of this entire deal. Right. Talking about playing at the next level, let's take another break so we stop something left for our next level when we come back. Right, welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Gary and Corey with you, and interesting conversation about the bowl game. Um, you know, instead of doing X's and O's, I, I kind of like having a, a bigger scale conversation about bowl games in general, especially since we're not sure who all the X's and O's will be. So um, let's talk a little bit about the transfer portal. It's the elephant in the room every year when you get to this point. Um, Who's going? Who's coming? Notable, of course. I don't want to talk about, like, you know, third string offensive linemen coming from Toledo, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so, uh, we actually just learned over the weekend that Pitt got four new commits coming in, and Wednesday is National Signing Day. So, we'll obviously have official clarity on who these players are uh, throughout the middle of the week here coming up. But, the one name that we learned that is coming to pit, well, two names, I guess, uh, since we last talked, Gary, was Phil Dracovic, 
obviously quarterback from Boston College. And then Donovan McMillan, Peters Township kid, former four-star recruit, went to Florida, and he's coming home now. So those are the two big pull ones. And I want to get your take, Gary, on the quarterback situation because this is a bigger deal than, you know, a, a safety or a wide receiver or anybody else that might come in because, you know. I mean, Phil's hard for me because – I'm jaded. Uh, I my kid was playing at North Allegheny when he was playing at Pine Richland. I got up close and personal look at that kid for a long time. Um, I you know I think he flirted with all the local teams just enough to um, kind of tick some people off, if you will. Um, Notre Dame came a calling. They they tend to swoop into Western Pennsylvania and take some of our better recruits. So. From a high school football perspective, a lot of us are a little jaded about Phil. Um, Phil just hasn't stayed healthy. And I don't think he's really found an offense that suits him yet. And I'll be honest, this one won't either. If it's the same one they tried to run this year, it's not. that's not in his bag of tricks. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's not. Mm-hmm. So um, they also better come up with a better answer at wide receiver or it just doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So... So to me, other than uh, Keaton Slovis entering the portal, the one that surprised me and the one I think that could have the biggest impact, Gary, is John Morgan. And this one kind of caught me off guard because yeah, with Haba Baldonado, he's going to play in the East-West Shrine game. That's kind of an indicator that he's leaving. Sure. Deslin Alexander's out the door as a senior. So there's two starting defensive end spots for next year that are right there. And I thought John Morgan was going to be not just a guy, but pretty much the guy. I thought John Morgan, Dayon Hayes were going to be bookends for next year. End of story, figure out the rest of the line. But John Morgan entering the transfer portal and, you know, he said basically that he wanted to leave so he can give some of the younger players on Pitt's roster more of an opportunity to play. Now, how true is that? We'll see. <laughs> we'll find out. That was very interesting way to put it because, you know. I'll give him benefit of the doubt that he's telling the truth. But to be blunt with you, Corey, I don't think he got enough playing time this year himself on right. this line. Right. I think he had more. I think he had more out there. And Now he's going to go take some playing time away from a younger player on another team, but I digress. But he's going to play big-time college football. It's just a matter of where at this point. He's going to get Power 5 offers. He's going to go play at a big school. We just don't know where. So John Morgan leaving and that creating kind of a hole, and obviously there's players that could fill in at DN. Look at a Nakai Johnson. Look at a Bam Brima who's played this year as two examples. But – I thought John was the biggest kind of domino. Kai Wright's in the portal, tight end. He didn't play that much, obviously. Third tight end, more of a run blocker. So not the and again, they don't largest loss in the world. Yeah, they rarely use their first one, which, you know, that's that's still a mystery to me. But but no, I mean, as far as impacts leaving, I think John has has the most gravity to him. And then guys coming in that we know of right now, I think the 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 biggest one's gonna be now Donovan McMillan. I mean, quarterback aside, right? I mean, right, the quarterback's right. always going to have an impact. But now that we know Brandon Hill's gone, Eric Halleck could still leave. 
you know, next year, your safeties are essentially Javon McIntyre. Judson Talliander is gone too. Talliander, excuse me, is gone as well. Your safeties next year as of right now are Javon McIntyre, PJ O'Brien, and now Donovan McMillan. So out goes Brandon Hill, in comes McMillan. That's a one-for-one swap, basically. And we saw over the last few years with the portal, you know, I think Pitt is a very interesting case when it comes to the portal because we have seen time after time, you could put a laundry list of names down of players that have benefited as a veteran in Pat Narduzzi's system here at Pitt. And you can look at two transfers this year as prime examples of that. Number one being Tyler Wiltz at linebacker. Number two being another linebacker, Shane Simon. Both of those guys have played exceptionally well. And you could even throw uh, MJ Devonshire into that mix as well as a transfer. Sure. That has played exceptionally I was going to go to Devonshire. Well. I was going to go to Devonshire because I think especially making your case, the secondary in Pitt, the way they run the secondary, what they expect of the secondary, if you want to showcase yourself for the pros, you're going to get put on an island in Pitt. Mm-hmm. So swim. if you believe in yourself and you really think you've got the skills that it takes to get to the next level, Pitt's a great place to come and showcase that because it's going to happen. And you're going to get that opportunity. Well, so when, you know, a few weeks ago when Kenny Minchie and, and uh, Zion Fowler both decommit, right? You know, the sky is falling on Twitter. You know, all the fans are saying, well, how is Pitt losing these guys? Why is Pitt losing recruits? Why is Pitt losing these top guys from their 23 class? Well, then they go out and get Ty Diffenbach, a three-star, uh, you know, a three-star quarterback from out west. And then they go get a guy like McMillan out of the portal. And then, you know, they have other guys come out of the portal. You get Phil Dracovic to start quarterback next year. The portal, point is, is a transactional process. It's going to happen everywhere. There are a thousand players in the transfer portal in this first window that closes in mid-January. And all that's going to happen is players are going to come in, they're going to go out. It's like signing free, I mean, it literally is free agency, right? That That's, you know, not just a tongue-in-cheek phrase about it, but it literally operates like it in a way. So Pitt is going to continue to develop from transfers coming in. And like I said, Pitt landed four new commits over the weekend. We haven't gotten names on any of them, but we'll see that on Wednesday. And I'm curious to see on Wednesday the percentage of players that are 2023 recruits. We know there's going to be quite a bit of them, but then also the number of transfers that actually signed their national letters of intent on Wednesday. There's going to be a fair number of those, and that's kind of what Pitt does. They benefit from this portal process, from pulling in veterans. Veterans are seeing. Players see what happened at other schools. They see Brandon sure. Hill go into the league and Servassier Dennis more than likely you know, pretty much now going to the NFL. Haba Baldonado developing as a veteran. Kalaja Kansi. They see how these NFL guys like come through Pitt and develop at Pitt and grow old, so to speak, at Pitt. And this is the product of it. So I think this is this is just the beginning of what Pitt's going to be and how they're going to be able to kind of retool and rebuild this roster for next year. See, I can get down with all of that. Everything you said makes a ton of sense, Corey, but I'm an old man. <laughs> I watched college football for a really long time. And, you know, I used to love the process of watching the position sets fill out, knowing that you better recruit a top end offensive lineman next year because you need to fill that left guard position and 
oh, we don't have a lot of depth at running back. We've only got two. One of them scheduled to graduate in a year. It, all of that stuff was part of the fun. So how do people my age understand and really embrace this new culture where teams can legally buy players now, basically, <laughs> whether we want to admit that or not. And, um, you know, you're no longer watching your team build. You're watching your team construct itself and remake itself on a yearly basis. So let's use a, a, a new commit as an example of this, just for the sake of conversation, okay? Let's use TJ Harvison's, Harvison excuse me, as an example, okay? He's a three-star running back from Georgia, all right? So the word on the street is he's going to enroll early. He'll start in, you know, with the spring camp and everything and start to get acclimated, right? So this is a running back. This isn't, you know, you're starting left guard or you're starting deep tackle. This is a running back in a position of prominence, a position of some kind of limelight down the road. Look at Izzy Abanacanda, the limelight he's gotten this year just because of his success. So let's say TJ Harvison down the road. Let's say he's a really good player. Let's say he really pans out for Pitt. Okay. You're going to start to get to know him better. You're going to start to, like you said, Gary, kind of develop that, you know, fandom for that player. Right. Why is Kenny Pickett so popular at Pitt? Because not only did he have tremendous success as a player, but he was also a five year system player. You got to know Kenny Pickett as a freshman back in 2017, it would have been. And then you got to know Kenny Pickett as a senior in 2021. You got to see Kenny Pickett's development from a freshman and someone sitting the bench. And then he comes in against Miami and wins that game. And then you're off and running. You get to grow with Kenny Pickett. That's why you become attached. That's why you become fans of the player. But when you have guys that, you know, let's say TJ Harvison five years from now is Pitt's starting running back. You're, you, you, that's a name that you hear in 2022, and then in 2026 and 27, you grow with that attachment. But let's say that things don't, so to speak, work out for him, and in two years, he's back in the transfer portal. You're going to say, well, you know, you're going to chalk it up to this is the business of college football. This is the world we live in. And at the same time, Pitt is probably going to go back into the portal and pull another running back out of it. Let's say for this year, Sebo Flemister, right? A guy who didn't really get much sure. of a chance at Notre Dame, but then you got to see him in moments this year behind Izzy and behind Rodney Hammond. And, you know, with Vincent Davis mixed in, you got to see Sebo Flemister and you got to grow along with that. The point is, I say all that to say this is these players will always come and go. And there's always, I always equated it to like having a slot like embedded in my brain. Like this is Pitt's quarterback. So I know that I'm going to refer to Phil Dracovic now instead of Keith Slovis, like throw that file out, put this file in. And then with the running back, I'm going to have this file for Izzy Abanacanda. When he leaves, it's going to come out and then it's going to come back in for whether it's Harvison or Rodney Hammond or whoever it is. So that's, that's kind of like my mentality on it because nowadays it's so ever changing and these players come and go so quickly and more frequently. It's not really a matter of the players coming in and then, you know, for four years you get to grow attached to these players and become fans of them. But the cycle is just shortening up. 
The cycle is just getting smaller. The window's getting smaller. So instead of rooting for TJ Harvison for five years, and, and I'm not saying he's you know going to bolt or anything, but I'm just using it for the sake of conversation. We'll use Keaton Slovis as an example then. You get to know Keaton Slovis over the year. You get to see him, you know, that whole process of he commits to Pitt. You're watching film from USC of him. You're getting excited for what could be because he might have Heisman hopes. And then you get to go through the process of it with him for this whole year, for better or worse. Right. In the old days, <laughs> so to speak, that was a four-year window, a three- to four-year window where you got to do that on a long-term scale. Now everything is so contrived in a short term, and that's where the adjustment is. Yeah, it's definitely a different process. I mean, I, I think if I look at it more as a year-to-year sport as opposed to what I used to look at it as. We could be good in the second half of this decade. Mm-hmm. You know, we could be good uh, in the next three years if so-and-so develops and so-and-so comes along and this recruit that I'm watching in high school – just in Western Pennsylvania or Texas, I would say in particular, high school football and college football used to be simpatico. You watched them both almost at the same time to see what was coming along. That kind of thing is just going to go by the wayside a little bit, I think, mm-hmm. with, with this new process. But, and the other, the other thing I wanted to touch on, um, it's an overall college football concept, I think the super senior thing. Um, you know, during COVID, I think a lot of us knew that extending that option out down through the ranks all the way to freshmen was going to create some weird issues. I think it is coming to a head right now. There's a lot of um, guys just not getting scholarship opportunities out of high school that, um, you know, are being forced to walk on certain schools. And I, I do think it's throwing some things off. Do you have any thoughts on that real quick before we take another break? You know, every program needs walk-ons, first of all. It's, it's, a, it's a foundational concept. You need scout team players. You need walk-ons. Every program, whether it's Pitt, whether it's Youngstown State, whether it's Duquesne, whether it's Clemson, every program needs walk-ons. So, you know, as a foundational piece, as, as a team that, you know, for Pitt, they have the luxury of pulling in walk-ons from local high schools that have really good football programs, right? You know, WPIAL, you can pull them in from PI, you know, whatever PIAA class you want to pull them in from. So it's it's kind of with the portal and the way that recruiting and the short term nature of how everything kind of works now is you're going to cycle in these different players at different levels as well. Whereas now with the portal, you have some players that thought they had power five potential kind of leak into the group of five schools, the Mac you know, all of these other mid-major, so to speak, schools in college football. But some of the walk-ons at Pitt, could they necessarily get a scholarship to play in a group of five? It depends on the player. It depends on the position as well. It kind of depends on the situation. I think once you start to get down the depth chart, you start to get a little more situational. And you start to get a little bit more what fits that player. And less about, obviously, with guys like, Kalijah Kansi and Izzy Abanikanda with the NIL opportunities and being a superstar player and having superstar potential as a name. I think that's where that line kind of draws. All right. So, hey, Sun Bowl, everybody. That's that's what we talked about. <laughs> if anybody asks, uh, if anybody checks our homework, that's what we discussed. So let's take another break. Let's come back. Let's talk a little pit hoops, huh?
All right, welcome back, H2P Podcast, and it's hoops time. And Corey, I know that you love hoops, and we have been talking a lot about this basketball team. We we knew this stretch was going to be a good time for them to kind of gel as a team and, and get their feet under them. Thought they'd probably experience a little bit of success against some lesser competition. They have done so. Um, I read, you had a really nice piece about Nelly Cummins uh, stepping up and really kind of becoming the primary ball handler for Pitt. And it's been good. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it hasn't. I've watched a lot of these games. I think they've had a chance to win them all, uh, including the Vanderbilt contest. Um, not bad. But is it real? I mean, we're about to enter the ACC contest now, um, starting with Syracuse on Tuesday, the 20th. Here we are, man. I mean, did the team come together enough? I'm still filled with questions. Okay, so I want to use the trip to Brooklyn that they took at the in the middle of November, literally a month ago, as kind of a checkpoint. A, kind of a splitting point for this because since they came back from that and that 29 point just beat down for Michigan and then they lose that game to VCU that they kind of blew at the end. They're seven and one since those two games in their last eight. Right. So credit where it's due Pitt has won all of its buy games. They won all the games they paid for, which I don't think we've been able to say in the Jeff Cable era, at least in a while. So those three games against Alabama State, Fairleigh Dickinson, William and Mary, I remember we talked about kind of the lack of effort from the first half and starting slow and kind of struggling early on against those teams. And then they go to Northwestern and against the number four defense in the country, they put up 87 points. So complete different shift. And then they go to NC State, a team that, Pretty solid, all things considered. They're they're kind of coming back up too. They go to NC State and they win their first ACC game. The game against Vanderbilt was back and forth, and then at the end, Vanderbilt kind of pulled away. Um, obviously a one-point game, but Vanderbilt found a different gear at the end there. And then you beat Sacred Heart North Florida. So, again, you win all the bye games. You win your ACC opener. The loss in that, in that mix was a one-point on the road um, at a pretty decent Vanderbilt team. Now... Is this, like you said, is this real? Is this a mirage? What do we take out of this um, going into ACC play, which from this point forward, like you said, starting with Syracuse on Tuesday, it's all ACC play. It's all ACC teams. So here's where I want to sit on it, because I remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about those three mid-major games coming back from New York, Alabama State, Fairleigh Dickinson, William & Mary. We talked about kind of minimizing the checklist, so to speak of things that Pitt needed to clean up and things that Pitt needed to really improve on over the final non-conference stretch. One of those things, and I've talked to, I talked to Nellie Cummings after the North Florida game. We talked to Blake Hinson and Greg Elliott about this. Notice the theme there. All three of those guys are new. You know, they're playing, Jeff Capel is playing new guys in, in his starting five. No John Hughley. He's been injured. He had, personal issues that he's he's dealt with that caused them to miss the North Florida game. And, you know, when you start Nellie Cummings, Jamarius Burton, Fetty Federico, Greg Elliott, and Blake Henson, that's, what, four guys that were not here last year. This is a nucleus, this is a team that 
had to bond and that had to figure each other out. And that's kind of what the conversation this past week with the players has been about. And the thing about Nellie Cummings that I wrote in, in the genesis of that really was kind of that concept of you have a point guard that hasn't handled the ball and hasn't gotten used to Greg Elliott in his spots and Blake Hinson in his spots and where Fetty Federico likes the ball on the low post. You haven't had Fetty Federico get the feel of having a point guard do something like a Nellie Cummings has been able to do. You haven't had a secondary ball handler step up until Jamarius Burton really has been able to do it. Remember, coming into the season, we thought it was Dior Johnson. And obviously, you know, ever since we talked Gary, you know, he pled to two misdemeanors. The, the felonies got reduced. So, you know, we'll see down the road about how Jeff Capel handles the uh, Dior Johnson situation now. But this team needed time to gel. It needed time to come together. It needed time to figure each other out. That's what the non-conference was meant to do. Now, how they handle us in ACC play, I'll say this much. Syracuse is a winnable game. North Carolina and Virginia, we'll see. So I'm taking this kind of segment by segment with this season with Pitt because I'm glad that they were able to go 7-1 and one coming out of New York, but they still got destroyed in New York on both of those games. And now Absolutely. they got to play against all ACC opponents, including North Carolina and Virginia in two of these next three. So I'm still holding off. I'm still waiting, but I'm encouraged by what I saw in this final month of non-conference play. And despite the names that people traditionally hear, all accounts looks like Virginia is a much stronger squad than North Carolina. So, you know, um, they, they probably have a better shot in that game than they do the Virginia game. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's, it's surprising to me, Corey, how much of this they've done without Hughley. Because even though he has played, he has not been himself. And mm-hmm. for Hughley to not be putting up big rebound numbers, you know something's wrong. And and that's that's uh, definitely been an issue, I think, this year. To their credit, though, they have pivoted to other people and I think really kind of pulled it off. I'm a little taken back to have not seen the Twins a little more often. What do you think about that? You know, and especially with John not being healthy, not being essentially available, and even when he's in, has it been effective all that much lately? I think that – how do I phrase this about the Twins? Because I think Capel wants to take his time with developing these two, and I think especially so much so with Guillermo. I think Jorge is has played a lot better than Guillermo has, especially um, over this last stretch of, of, of the last month. and. With these rotations, too, you know, he brings Nike Sabande off the bench first. And then if John's playing, he brings Fede off the bench. And then he brings in Nate Santos. So he hasn't gone as deep into the bench as I thought he could because of the Twins. I thought the Twins would be able to stretch the bench out. I thought they would be able to give Capel the opportunity to play at minimum eight or nine players instead of a maximum of about eight. So yeah, that's where I was too. Yeah. So I think that I think he wants to take his time with the twins. I also am not sure if I'm not saying they're not comfortable with this like system and the way of playing quote unquote American basketball as opposed to playing international. But I also think there's something to them catching up to speed of the college basketball game here in the United States. I think there's a little bit to do with that. And I'm not saying they look out of sorts by any means. 
But I think that in order for them to play consistent minutes, and I think in order for them to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, produce in those consistent minutes, I think they still need to get up to speed on a couple of things. I think that at times you see, you know, they're maybe not in the right position, or maybe they're not, you know, confidently handling the ball in the low post, or maybe their shot selection isn't confident there yet. There's just, it's something that's not there yet with them. And I'm not saying they're not talented players because I think they're both good players. But I think that there's just a little more growth that needs to come forward with both of them. Keep in mind, they're true freshmen. You know, there's sure. a true freshman coming over to play a different style of basketball. So I think that we just need to wait and see a little bit longer on the Twins until we can really see what they can truly do um, as far as being system players and getting used to all of that. Yeah, I'm with you there. I feel like uh, Nike Sabande has probably got to improve his field goal and three-point percentage drastically if he's going to continue to eat up the playing time he's getting, though. He's playing really good away from the ball. But with the ball, the shooting percentage is just abysmal. And eventually that has to come due. That bill comes due when you start playing better competition. So especially when you don't have a strong rebounding game. So we'll see what happens. Um, ACC play, I'm not optimistic, but I'd love to be surprised. At least I did see more consistent defensive sets against some of this inferior competition, and that's good stuff. And, uh, Corey, I think we have to, uh, congratulate pit volleyball too, because man, what a run this year for real. And they're set up to do it again next year. Yeah, they are. I mean, another run to the final four, second year in a row. Dan Fisher has something here as far as a core is concerned. They're not losing that many seniors that match against Louisville, you know, the Cardinals just found a whole nother gear in that fifth set, right? 15 to two in the fifth set. Unbelievable stuff from Louisville. But the resilience that Pitt showed in a couple of those sets in that, in that national semifinal was just unbelievable. They were able to come back. I mean, you saw the way Courtney Bazzario and Serena Gray and, and Chiamaka Nwokolo, the way they were able to attack the net. You saw the back line perform well. Rachel Fairbanks was everywhere throughout the entire NCAA tournament, had a triple-double, obviously, um, against BYU. And look, this Pitt team has nothing to be ashamed about. They had a tremendous season, obviously played through gauntlets of tough teams. Louisville, just another, you know, they split with them in the regular season in this rubber match in the NCAA tournament. Just a little too much at the end. So uh, congrats to the Pitt women's volleyball team. Just an unbelievable season. And, you know, they'll definitely be back next year and, and, you know, some capacity in the postseason. This is a this is a team that has a lot to look forward to. Absolutely. I think uh, overall it was a pretty good year for Pitt. And uh, as we enter 2023, I think there, there's more good to come. So for that, for this show too, Corey, I mean, we're going to get better at this. I'm sure of it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we ran long today, but we haven't talked to you, you, you guys in a while. And we won't be talking to you guys for the holidays. So to those listening in, we obviously appreciate you. And, you know, we appreciate taking your time and have a Merry Christmas. Have a happy holidays. Enjoy spending time with you and yours. Yeah, everybody. Without anything else to say, H2P and Merry Christmas. <laughs>